last week we were taking a look at this question and we almost finished it, but I want to review a little bit because it's quite important. And then I want to, I would like to add to a little bit of what we spoke about last week. Then the question was, does anybody remember? Does a loving God send people to hell? So we were looking at this biblically, and of course the consensus in the group prior to last week was fairly unanimous that no, a loving God would never send anybody to hell. And I'm hoping that from our study last week, we raised some biblical questions regarding that hat dogmatic answer. And I think we learned that, uh-oh, we can't quite be that dogmatic about the answer. Because in certain quarters we'll see that people will indeed quite dogmatically say, never, never would God send anyone to hell. But what we saw last week was we saw the words used as they are translated into our Bibles. We saw the, the verb to choose and also to send. And remember, we saw that to choose means to have a preference for or to desire or to select. So do we choose? Do we choose? That means if we don't accept Christ, that means we have rejected Christ. And that's a choice, isn't it? And we're given that free will choice, aren't we? To have a preference for or to decide or to select. Well, that's very logical because everybody has that opportunity. But not so fast because we also see that when we looked at God's word, we'll review quickly this evening, we also see that to send means to cause to go. Or you use the word consign. Or to con- That's what makes sense to me when you say God wouldn't send anybody, you know, but he would consign them. He consigned. And that is a word that is specifically used in some of our translations, to consign. And so to sin means to consign or to cause to go or to deliver, to deliver, hmm, or to present or enable. I like that term enable also because by definition, enabling involves choosing, doesn't it? So this sending and choosing that we're looking at from not only a word definition, but from a biblical construct are inextricably linked this choosing and this sending. And so I'm hoping that from last week's study we, we are reconsidering the dogmatism that we might apply towards absolutely God would never send of anybody to hell. Well, does he want to? No. Of course he doesn't want to. But who created hell? And for what purpose did God create hell? And, but for, that's for who, but for what? Punishment. God created hell for punishment, and he told us that in Daniel 12, 2, initially, as there was this progression in Revelation throughout the Old Testament and into the New, we saw for the first time that there is this punishment. And so as first century Jews, we would be very comfortable understanding that hell is punishment. But of course, a first century Jew would think that the punishment was for what? And, and for, no, for, you would be punished because you didn't what? Keep the law. 
keeping the law. And so Jesus, of course, comes and he is going to sort of clean that up a little, isn't he? Isn't he? Because Jesus, who claims to be God, who is the Messiah, has a lot to say about hell. So Jesus is the next in line here in terms of this progression that we see of the revelation of what we would consider to be the doctrine of hell. And so we see who did did God create hell for initially? That's right, Matthew twenty five forty one says then he shall say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But wait a minute. What's the context of Matthew twenty-five, forty-one? Depart from me, you cursed. Who is Jesus talking to? You don't even have to turn there. I don't I want you to be distracted by turning there. That's what he put on your eye. Who is Jesus talking to? And who else? The Jews. Okay, remember the context is sheep and goats. And there was this separation. It's judgment time. And there is a separation of sheep and goats. And so, who do the sheep represent? And the goats? Unbelievers. Now, this is really important here when we think about sending and choosing, isn't it? Because he says, then, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, which is yeah, he he is speaking of the eternal fire, not Gehenna, but the lake of fire, the ultimate destination for the devil and his angels that God created this place for, and yet. In this passage, he is not speaking only to the devil and his angels. Who is he speaking to? The goats. The goats. This becomes very important in sending and choosing because he has separated after he created and then either there was choosing or sending going on here. And, and we have to be we have to be real firm about what Scripture says. He says, "Depart." That's a powerful word in the English language. Depart, because depart denotes sending, or at least going. Right. So there's sending or going or choosing, and that's what we're trying to figure out here. How Scripture is. Um, is is teaching us about whether this loving God that we worship would send and or would people just choose. So, but uh, how would you classify what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah? In what way? Well. Did they choose, or did he send them, or did he just poof? Well, clearly God made that decision, as He did when He. We looked at this last week. Also, what else did God? What else did God do in 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 eternity past uh, when He was when He was angry? There was a lot of punishment involved, and 
and and we know the flood. And he said, I am going to destroy, didn't he? And he did, didn't he? And so, whose choice was that? It was God's choice. They chose to believe him. They chose to leave him. Okay, so they chose to be disobedient and then God responded. Noah preached for 200 years and apparently no one turned. Of course they did. They thought he was a nut job. He was building a gigantic (laughs) boat on the top of a mountain. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The same thing Sodom and Gomorrah. They had the inhabitants of the city had, you know, had, were yeah, they were great sinners, and none of them. A lot was given the supposed to save as many out of the city as he could. And he couldn't save anybody. I don't want to go too far into this because we're going to we're going to sneak up on this if we get there tonight. But did you choose to be a sinner? Did I hear born? Somebody say. Oh, okay, so you didn't make that choice. Hmm. Yeah, and we're going to see tonight in the Old Testament. Um, way before the, the time of Jesus, it was very clear that we were that we were born sinners, and and uh, that was an inheritance problem, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, it was an inheritance problem. But turn to Romans nine eighteen in terms of God creating heaven and hell and descending and choosing, because I want to wrap this up before we get into some important questions that Olivia prompted me with over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> We're finally going to get there. <laughs> we're finally going to get there. If we're patient enough, Olivia, we get there. Romans nine eighteen says, someone please. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So to Bob's earlier point in at least one way, we see that God chooses to have mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy and he hardens whom he chooses to harden. And can somebody explain that to me, please? He's God. He's talking through Moses to Pharaoh. And he's telling him... I've made your heart your heart hard because I want to prove the point. Mm-hmm. And our translations don't say all of those words, but he uh, says in my book anyway, to demonstrate my powers in you, so my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. I've just backed up to a part of verse of seventeen. When mm-hmm. the scripture says to you says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you so my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Exactly. And so uh, to, to the point, this is being used as also a principle that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and he will harden whom he chooses to harden because of what you said earlier, Susan, that God is God. And that's the first point at which I think we get confused in terms of whether there's choosing or sending even. But I think it is, it is even broader than that. 
Because Romans then in Romans 9.14, if you back up just a little bit earlier than what you were just reading, Bob, Romans 9.14 says what? What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So is God just or isn't he just? Okay. And this is another biblical principle that we can apply throughout the scriptures, can't we? We know that God is just. And we could we could come up with a good thirty scriptural references to support that. There's nobody here that's going to argue that point because we know it well. And then we looked last week at this big question in Romans, the what if question. Romans nine twenty two. What if God although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. What if God did that? That's a big what if question that we were looking at last week. And so, so what if God chose to do that? He can do that. He can choose. <laughs> because he's God. And so, if God is doing the choosing and we know that God is just and we know that God shows mercy, has mercy, is love. We're looking at all of these things. These are attributes and they are the authorities of God. And we're looking at whether or not he is doing the sending or we are doing the choosing or perhaps even if he is doing the choosing. Hmm. Interesting. Just an interesting question and we're trying to determine biblically what our position should be because I think it matters. So do you see God's mercy in this? Do you see his mercy in hardening whom he wants to harden to make a point? How about his glory? Hmm. See, some people struggle with that. Have you run across anybody that's ever said, I could never I could never believe in or follow a God that would do that? Huh. I've heard that more more regularly than I care to mention. Well he he is God mm-hmm. and just drop down and forget the fact that we're discussing him. And you have a set of parents who are good parents, and they set rules. And if you break them, you know what happens. But they're not good parents. And so, <clears throat> violate the rules, you can expect to get punished. And it may be a by God and so everything was made but God so there's the authority and there are the rules and so we see clearly that God created and we're 
he is the creator and we are the creation and we looked last week at Isaiah 55 it says of course who can know the ways of God we don't, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways and that helps us understand that diatheke relationship that there's the greater to the lesser and so and we, we understand that don't we but, but, but we have the history on our side don't we of being believers and filled with the spirit who affords us the opportunity to understand these things that otherwise would be nonsense to those that are not filled amen 2 Peter 3.9 in terms of sending or choosing and then we'll wrap this up with a passage in Matthew the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's a, that's a passage that you might struggle with relative to sending or choosing. How might you struggle with sending or choosing? Does God send or do we choose? That's the context is hell. <laughs> Relative to that passage in Second Peter, the, the Lord is not slow. We know that, and boy, we also know He's been patient with us, don't we? Okay, but in what area? Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but who? Everyone. Everyone to come to repentance. Is that then? What's the paradox? If we believe that some of Scripture is referring to God, who has created hell. And possibly consigns people that choose to reject him, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So then why does he send them to hell? Hmm. <coughs> now that's a good question, isn't it? Do you struggle with that a little bit? Well, everyone's given a choice, and mm -hmm. if they don't choose God, there's no place else to go. He knows who's going to choose and not choose. Mm -hmm. He does, doesn't he? Before the foundations of the world. And you see, sitting in a Bible study with a group of born-again believers, it's pretty easy to say, no, that, that doesn't bother me too much. That, that, that's not a concern. But to the majority, most. It's a huge concern. Because, in fact, they wouldn't believe Based on that, some people. Because it's just too big a hurdle, isn't it? Because they have an authority problem. And so is God doing the sending? That's a huge obstacle for some people. I mention this only because, number one, it's true. If you've ever talked to anybody and you talk to them about hell, why do you think churches don't, don't preach and teach on hell? Why do you think books are written today? It's not new. It's been happening since the first century. But, but we know that it's quite popular today to teach on the absence of hell, that there is no hell, because it's not a popular topic. It happens to be a biblically truthful topic, but it doesn't happen to be a popular one. And so many people are deceived. And our heart should be for those that are deceived by virtue of that false teaching, because if it's not biblically accurate, they could be going there. And if that doesn't bother you, then you need to really check your heart. <laughs> well, we, we used the Raka comment last week, didn't we? And we saw... Yeah, so... I, 
I appreciate Timmy letting me pick on him just a little bit, but Jesus said, amongst brothers, if you call your brother stupid or a fool, you may just be heading there because your heart is not right. And so if you are not in a vertical relationship uh, with, with God, you probably aren't in a horizontal relationship with anybody else in a godly way. And so you are, you are in, in, in jeopardy, quite frankly, according to that scripture. This is powerful stuff, and we can't take it lightly or be cavalier. But let's finish this up with this, with this very familiar passage that I asked you to read last week, but we didn't have time to look at it. We'll finish it up, and then we're going to ask a couple of questions from your, from your outline. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. I, I'd like to read it, and I'd like you to pick out some key Terms, words, or even whole verses. Ready? When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come you who are blessed in My Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whenever you did, for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you did not do whatever you did not do, for one of the least of these you did not do for me. And now the key. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, that's a story that we're all familiar with. Is it a story? What is it? Pronunciation. Exactly. Exactly. And so Jesus comes in glory and he gathers everyone before him. We talked about this just a second ago. And this is this is judgment time. And so the righteous in Christ are on one side. And who's on the other? The goats. And they're goats because of their, their rebellion and sin and, and non-belief. That's the word I was looking for. Because they don't believe. You see, this is a huge obstacle for the unsaved. Are you telling me that God either sends me or I'm choosing to go to hell just because I don't believe? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, that, that's, what, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 
that's very hard and doesn't sit well with most. And so he says, depart. That's that's a sin. The command. Yeah. And so where are they departing to? Eternal punishment. Initially reserved for Satan and his angels. But then the unbelieving, of which most will be in that category, according to Jesus himself. This is tough. This is tough. The other thing that's tough, Bill, is starting in verse, when you talked about I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, some non-believers will say, I'm a good person, I give I give food, I give drink, mm-hmm. you know, so why am I not going to have it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Those are very good and valid questions from a non-believer. Yes. And we have to be prepared to answer those questions and what we have to deal with. And I don't know how many times you've had the opportunity to witness to somebody, but my guess is, is that your first uh, modus operandi is not to tell them repent or you're going to hell. That's not generally where we start. Don't we start with God's love? Yes, we do. And yet, if we're going to speak the truth in love, and we have to do it cautiously, don't we? We have to do it with gentleness and respect, according to Scripture. And yet, the reality is that hell exists. You see, so biblically speaking, to finish this up, we know that God created heaven and hell. We know that they are real places where real people that we know are going to go. Personalize it, guys. It becomes important. Otherwise, it's an intellectual pursuit and we have the we, we run the risk of being holier than thou if we're not careful with this. I'm a believer. I'm not going to hell. Hallelujah, right? But I'm, as much as Jesus wanted to warn his audiences, because he spoke more about hell than anybody, he also, he was firm, he was direct, it was real, but he was also loving and gentle when he pursued this direction. And so should we. So God loves much and he forgives much. Amen? Amen. And he doesn't want anybody to go. And yet he knows, like you said, that most will. Think think about the heartbreak from God's point of view. To me, one of the underlying messages here is uh, not to be too basic with it. Nobody's going to heaven on works alone. Faith without works is dead, and Absolutely, and if you're discerning with somebody and you're witnessing to them, um, you'll, you'll, God will give you the words, won't He? God will give you the words, won't He? Okay. So the point is that biblically speaking, what we see is we see this code joining with choosing and sending. It's undeniable. It's unmistakable. Yes, the Bible says that God consigns those either to heaven or hell. 
consigns. Where that is, where, where Jesus Christ himself is issuing out the punishment, vengeance he calls it, and wrath that is there. And yes, because God created hell, yes, I'm afraid that the Bible says that God will send you there by your choice. Because he doesn't want to. And I read this C.S. Lewis quote last week, and I like it so much I want to read it again. That says that sin is man saying to God, go away and leave me alone. And hell then is God's reply, as you wish. And that's profound when you think about the fact that real people that we know are on a pathway to hell. And my hope is that through the, this whole study, if we don't get anything out of the study of hell other than understanding that it's real and the gravity of the reality of it is that there are people that we know in our midst that are headed there and that in and of itself should change us. Thank you for your prayer, Mark, that as the Holy Spirit works on us, through these supernatural words that are written in God's book, if you will, it should change us. And people that are going to hell are going to hell. And we may be the only person that God puts in their path to get them to reconsider. It's that serious. That's the gravity of this thing called hell. So we look at a couple of questions. Is hell separation, separation from God? What happens to those who haven't heard the gospel message? Because goats are unbelievers. And how can you believe what you haven't heard? That was your question two weeks ago, right? Excellent question. And what about this age of accountability issue? You've heard about our, do, do infants that are born that have never had the opportunity because they died, do they, do they go to... Where do they go? Mm. I think it's important to answer these questions because there are a lot of unbelievers that ask those kinds of questions. I could never believe in a God that would send an infant to hell. I could never believe in a God that would send me to hell. I'm a good, moral, nice person. I've, I've, even, I've even taken things to widows and mowed their front grass. I'm a good person. How could I be going to hell? Hmm. Good question. So is hell separation from God? When we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, it was a question that came up, but we didn't wrap any scripture around it. So it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what scripture says, right? So let's turn to Psalm 139. Well, it's separation, all right, but that's not the worst part. <laughs> What's the worst part? You're, you're in a, a city of torment that you cannot, can't, can't even envision, envision the torment, and I'm not going to try, but just because you believe in hell and in heaven doesn't mean you're going to get to heaven. You've got, sure, even the demon you've got, to make your, you've got to make your 
bonafides with Jesus Christ and ask Him in. Amen. Because I know some people who believe in heaven and hell and God and they're going to hell. And we're going to look at a number of scriptures on your outline when we deal with that question about those that haven't heard the gospel message because it, it plays right into what you're, what you're talking about. And so Psalm 139, 7 and 8 says what? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The psalmist is communicating what? Where can I go? Where can I escape from God? This psalm reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden <laughs> early on. <laughs> yes. And what was their response after they had their uh-oh moment? Where can we hide? <laughs> I find that so incredibly amazing that these two, created by God, thought that they could hide from him. And people have been doing it ever since. And yet, where is God? According to this one song, we looked at the omnipresence of God last week or a couple weeks ago quite briefly, and we see that his sovereignty extends to where? Because he, he sustains everything that exists. Which exists without him. Hmm. So he's everywhere. Amen, sister. A biblical truth. God is omnipresent. And the psalmist says, Where can I go? <coughs> Think the psalmist learned a little something from the Adam and Eve story in Genesis? <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. Probably even had some experience trying to hide from God. Ever sin and try to hide from God? Ever sin and have that throw off your normal routine of any devotionals that you might be doing? Ever feel miserable after you've sinned, regardless what you did? I'm not, not classifying the size or quantity or, or even nature, but have you ever had that experience? It's all like hiding from God, isn't it? And the psalmist says, who can flee from God? And yet he doesn't want us to. And yet that's our natural reaction, isn't it? Proverbs 15, 29. And you can just read the first portion of that. 29a. The Lord is far from the wicked. Yeah. What's the context of that proverb? And if you don't get the context, is there a principle? Oh, you read the second half, Doris. <laughs> so what we see is God is far from the wicked, but what? He hears the prayers of the righteous. It's really interesting that what, what's the first thing you think about when you read that proverb? The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. I think that he probably doesn't hear the wicked prayers because they haven't confessed or asked for forgiveness. Yeah. And when God is far from them, what does that mean? Pardon me? He doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Oh. 
doesn't want. So does that mean that he's like in New York? No, it doesn't mean physically. Oh, he's not close to the heart of God. Okay. All right. So that's interesting because you're suggesting, Scotty, then that this proverb is relating to God being spiritually distant from the wicked. It says that in Thessalonians. It does? Yeah. Oh, you have it right there, Hannah? <laughs> Why don't you read that? It says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Before we go that far, can we, because to me, the first part of this Thessalonians is the great, some of the great news in Scripture. Well, it really is, but before we read that that in Second in yeah. Thessalonians, uh, I, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to make sure that we're pretty comfortable in the context of, of this Proverbs meaning that the Lord is far from the wicked. When is the Lord far from the wicked? I, that's what I'm getting at. That's the question. When is the Lord far from the wicked? The wicked turn their back on Him. But when are, is the Lord far from the wicked? Pardon me? When they've sinned. Yeah. Oh, okay, so when is the Lord far from the wicked? All the time. All the time. My point. So... Is this Proverbs then relatable to the past, the present, the future, or all? Could it then be that the Lord being far from the wicked relates specifically to the lake of fire. Hell. Yeah. I have a yes from Sally. <coughs> I don't think it's exclusively talking about that. No. Because you just said all. Past, present, and future. Correct. So, God is far from the wicked. Could we add and be biblically correct the two words in hell can we say that and be biblically accurate God is far from the wicked in hell okay I, I think it's as far as they're concerned that he does say in Revelation that he goes in there and he binds them goes, I'm sorry and Evidently, I'm guessing that he includes the angels. He he binds them and the finish. Mm-hmm. And so, in order to do that, he's got to go there. There are some bound in the in the somebody's in the present house. Somebody's got to go there, and whether it's his angels, because he can't abide by hell. His presence can't put up with it. But so he throws it, so that doesn't necessarily mean he goes into it. But we're dealing with falling forever. We have the three omnis of God, don't we? What does the what what does omni mean? All. All. And we're saying that. In the proverb, the Lord is far from the wicked, and we know that that is 
past, present, and future. And we know that God is omnipresent. And Bob, you were just referring to the fact that in some way, shape, form, or capacity, God must be present in hell, right? If he chose. I'll put it this way. I don't know. But in my limited thinking, I would say if he so chose, he could put things together so that that was the result, whether he had to be there or not. What I don't know far exceeds what I think I might Amen, Brother Soul. Doris just said that he holds it He's the one that holds it together. By him, all things consist. So, mm-hmm. his power has to be there at least. You said last week, his grace is not there. Yeah. In a sense. In a sense. And I would have to agree with Bob at least uh, on this partially because do we know the how? No, I think we know the what. Because I think, I think Scripture is relatively clear that when God is omnipresent, that means God is all present. And we also know that when God is omnipresent in heaven, that includes his, all of his love and his grace and his mercy. And yet, what is absent from the mean, lake of fire? Does it mean all God's present? Does it mean all present or does it mean everywhere present? Everywhere present. And so we see that, we, that God is, is, uh, has, the, has abilities that we can't even conceive of. Amen? We don't. What, what do we know? We have to go back to Isaiah. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. And yet he's given us just enough, just enough to understand his nature. And it is God's nature, we see biblically, that it is God that is in charge of hell. It is not Satan. Satan is bound there for an eternity, just like all the rest of the goats, according to the Bible, according to the Bible that I read. And so we see that God is omnipresent, which means that his presence is more than likely in hell without the grace and the mercy that we have so come to expect. Amen? But can we explain that? I can't. I can't explain it. But it's certainly possible... Like the Russian cosmonaut, the first one that went up, he says, I looked all around up there. I didn't see God anywhere. <laughs> 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 Couldn't we... I'm looking at this plane. Yeah. Look at it, the Lord is far from wicked. Yeah. But the Lord is close to our hearts because we believe. But to the wicked, to the wicked person, they're not even thinking about the Lord, so the Lord would be far from their heart. And I think that we see that torment that Bob was talking about earlier in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So we see this rich man and he knows full well what's going on. And yet he's not talking to God, is he? He's talking to Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham... You know, will you warn my brothers? He, he knows everything about this great chasm. He knows everything about that he can't come back. And he has, he is conscious of what is missing. He's conscious of, that's torment. 
That's separation. So is it really separation from God? Or is it separation from, from those attributes of God that you know now are missing and you so desperately want? That's torment. That is complete and total torment when you, when you know. And you love a God like that? <laughs> you better. <laughs> I think that's the argument, isn't it? And you love a God like that? Yeah. When you get when you experience His love. Let's read this. Let's read this Second Thessalonians passage. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. This is out of the New King James, by the way. Because I like this. On second, second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Boy, reading that in light of hell is powerful. The last line of the Yeah, this includes you because you believed in our testimony. Believers. Yeah, I like this includes you. This includes you, believers. And so, so a couple of a couple of important and very salient points here in this letter, since it is a righteous thing. God is fully righteous. God is fully just. God is holy. And oh, that we would understand that, which we don't. I like to say that if we understood the holiness of God, we'd never get off our face. Ever. And yet we're going to be in that presence of that holiness for an eternity. Can we just think about that for like the rest of our life? And meditate on that. But he says it's a righteous thing for God to repay. Sending or choosing again, I guess, huh? To repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Retribution. And to give you who are troubled. Anybody have trouble in their life? I mean, other than Tim, whose life has been perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, life is troubling, is it not? It's going to have rest for those of us that are troubled. That's good news. That's good news. I could use some rest. I think there's a word you shouldn't use in this class anymore, so it's comfortable. That makes me nervous. <laughs> well, yeah, comfortable is not a place that we should probably be, depending on the context with which you use that word here. But it says that Jesus is taking vengeance. So, you know, as we look at the separation from God, is hell really separation from, from God? Yeah, I think hell is God's wrath, and hell is, 
is, is God's vengeance and, and we know from scripture it's his punishment people are being punished that's why they're going there with Satan we don't often think about that we, we, we abhor Satan don't we in the spiritual realms and yet we forget that there are real people that are going to be in eternity in hell with Satan they're probably following him right now and they don't recognize that. They don't. Of course they don't. But you see, God, even though there is the wrath of God that is real and the vengeance of Christ which is real, that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because we love the loving God. It's hard to chat with those people that are on a pathway to hell and talk about God's wrath and his vengeance. Street preacher with signs. Repent or go to hell. We don't like those guys, do we? And yet they're, they're doing nothing more than proclaiming biblical truth. <coughs> Just because I wouldn't do it that way doesn't mean they're not proclaiming biblical truth. And yet God is <coughs> separating from those there blessings. There is no blessing in hell. There is no blessing in hell. There's the people in hell. They have like a could have, should have, would have mentality. Like you were saying, the rich man, I could have, should have done all this. God could have softened his heart. The Spirit can soften these people that have hardened their hearts. Oh, now that's a good question. Mm-hmm. So do you choose God or does he choose you? Uh, you know, that's just it. He is, his, his desire is for everyone to come to him. And Clearly. He can, he can make that happen. <coughs> but would he? If he does that, he is forcing you. And you have a God-given ability to choose Hmm. And he stays out of that. You have to make the choice. That's hard, isn't it? Some people don't realize they're making the choice. No, they do. They realize it. They know. They just don't want to do it. It's more convenient for them to think, I'm I'm a good person. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, I'm going to heaven. Yeah. And remember, he says, the only way to heaven is through me, and the way is very narrow. Narrow is the gate. I understand that, but God could soften your heart. Well, look at Lazarus. Here here he is. So sad. He's in paradise. Hmm. And and he, the rich man walked by him every day. Mm -hmm. And he's in pain. He's got sores. He's in horrible the rich man could have done something, but he's got that pride attitude that, hey, I'm rich, I'm somebody special. I'm not going to acknowledge, acknowledge this guy. He knew he could have. Even more than even more than that, because the rich man thought that he just had the right religion. Right. He was a yeah. Jew. Was a and, so, and so, I mean, that's one of the clear ways that, that people choose that pathway to hell because they think they have the right religion and there there have been pagan religions and cults that have been that have been with us for for 
thousands of years, and there are people that believe that they have the right religion, it's very difficult to go to somebody that's a friend of yours that might be involved in a cult that is teaching uh, something other than the gospel truth. And, and, and where are they going? And they're wonderful. I know wonderful, terrific, generous, caring, nice, moral, honest people going to hell. Not because I said so. <laughs> no, and there's going to be a lot no. of them there. Yeah. This, this, is, this, is, this should be life-altering. Bill, I think it goes back again to uh, God's ways are not our ways. <laughs> we can't really understand it because look at Saul, Paul. <laughs> Saul's going to hell. But God turned him around. I mean, talk about softening his heart. He, he was... He hit him with a hammer, didn't he? Yeah. 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 But, but I'm saying there's an a example in the Bible. That's there's plenty of them, but I'm just saying that. Uh, but it's yet Moses, yeah, Moses, uh, not you can't I mean, do Pharaoh's heart was hard. Well, he was created for that purpose. Yeah, they he both had a plan. It was for God's purpose. But yeah, which he created means. all of us for a purpose. We cannot understand. So whatever that purpose is, is his business. And hopefully we find out what it is so we can do what we're supposed to Sure, we'll have plenty of time to ask. <laughs> we'll have plenty of time to ask. The issue is, is that there are those that won't. But even the rich man knew. And see, that's what's... That's, that's what's that's what's horrific about that particular story of hell, which is why it's used most often in, 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 in this type of a discussion, because it's very clear that Jesus wanted us to know that this rich man was tormented because he understood that separation was separation from God's blessing and all the goodness of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God, but not from God's presence. He understood God's presence, but... He didn't have God's blessing and could have. The torment. I could have, should have, would have. Could, I could have loved you. Could have. I could I have, have loved you. you. That's right. And so, Olivia, if you love Wes because you are forced to, that's not love. And you see, so are we choosing to love God? Yeah, I think so everybody in this room. <coughs> I think the Holy Spirit chose that. Yeah, helped. Of course. Okay. Of Because you accepted that. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid and things, I knew, oh, there's a God and there's Jesus and you do all these little Sunday school things and yes, I'm a Christian. But then when it comes to living your heart, it's a whole different thing. Huh. Mm-hmm. Supernatural, huh? Yeah, that's what I mean. That's mm. what I'm saying. Imagine that. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. You know? But, it just seems like there'd be a lot of hearts that he could go live in. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. And isn't that awesome? Because that's your heart, isn't it? Yeah. But it's not God's way. Well. But, but you see, <laughs> I know. And, but, and, and even though that's the softness and the sensitivity for those that are perishing, even though that's where your heart is, we have to be careful. And the reason we have to be careful is because you might write a book that says, well, then nobody's going to go to hell because I think that God could change everybody's heart. And I think he's going to. No, I know. But there are people that, there are people that say he's going to because there are people that are... Yeah, exactly right. So, so, so Olivia, on that basis, 
What does God do with those who have never heard the gospel message? It's your question. That's right. What does he do? Well, that was my question. You're the teacher. Oh, I thought you had said that. So what does he do? What happens to those that have not heard the gospel message? Are they going to hell? That's true. Pardon me? That's not true because Romans 1, 18, 20 says they all know the truth. Well, but before we go there. Even if they have not heard the gospel, they can look at nature. So, so by general revelation, so if you just see the mountains, the stars, and the skies, and everything that God created, that's enough. Pardon me. If you haven't heard it, that would be close to enough. <laughs> you want to firm that up, Sally? Okay. So general revelation of God's creation. The question is, is that enough? Well, there are people who don't believe anything was created. I just think it evolved. Okay. Out of the soup or something. Okay, so that's not enough. So that one. No matter what our human feelings about that subject are, God has a plan for it. Okay. Well, let's take a quick look at. Let's take a quick look then at Romans 1 18 through 20. Somebody read it, and then the last. The last six words read very slowly, whoever is going to read this book. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. So they what? So that people are without excuse. Okay, so Mark, does that pretty much take care of it then? Does that settle the issue for you? Well, I think that there there are degrees of punishment because God says somewhere in His Word, I can't tell you where, that those who have done you know wickedness but not as bad as others Mm -hmm. will be hit will be uh, strikes and less strikes. Mm-hmm. So there are degrees of punishment. We've studied that and we, we believe yeah. that because that's what Scripture says. Absolutely. So if they haven't heard and they and also the Scripture says if they automatically do by nature what's correct that would be counted in their favor. Oh, so all the good moral people then that are doing good because they believe that there's got to be a creator and this, have you seen the Topa Topas? <laughs> the pink moment is, is spectacular. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you. Sure. No, because they have heard the word. Okay, but what and about those who haven't heard the word? Is who you're talking about in chapter one, eighteen, Romans? Okay, and that covers those tribes that are way back, not accessible to anybody. For 3,000 years, have never had any dealings with anyone who would tell them about Christ. So it's okay for them? Here's the rules they have to live by. Okay. And if they've done that, that's the only thing they had because it says from the beginning. In other words, we're back to judging them by what the children of Adam. And Eve 
Okay, stick, judged by. Okay, cool. Stick, stick with that. Stick, hang, hang there for just a second. Hang there for just a second. Uh, is somebody in Ecclesiastes yet? Does somebody look that far from the outline? Ecclesiastes 3.11? Yeah. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Okay, so in line with what you were saying, Bob, you're right, Ecclesiastes sort of supports that because he said he's also set, set what in, in the human heart? Eternity. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Olivia. All of a sudden, God has set, God has done some things. When He blew the breath of life in you, He set eternity in your heart. See, there's that, there's that peace that all men, it's, it's in us. I say, when I say men, I mean people. It's, it's, it's in us. And there's this revelation. We, we, <clears throat> we are without excuse, according to Romans, because we see we see the magnificence of God's creation for those of us that haven't heard the gospel yet. So we see the magnificence. We're curious about it. We have this eternity in our hearts. And then we see in Romans 19, I'm just going to read it real quick, 19, 1 through 4, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Did I, what did I say? Oh, I'm sorry. Psalms 19, 1 through 4. And sometimes my tongue goes faster than my brain, which I have a pretty slow brain, actually. Um, so the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Hallelujah. All of a sudden, those people that are in remote areas of the world are looking out. And if they're asking the question, where did this come from? And they're looking at the sky. The psalmist says that the sky speaks volumes without even using words. Okay, so does that settle it then for you? <laughs> they what? They wouldn't end up in hell. Well, then we better we better take a look unless, at the whole counsel of God then. I know, unless it was mm. in a part that is not too drastic. <laughs> 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 All right, see, we have these people, and I know, I know people. You know, we train missionary pilots. I I, I love talking to missionaries. They're all around the world, and they're engaging in people groups that are that are uh, pagans. I mean, they, they they worship all kinds of idols, right? And I love talking to these people because they get out there and they have relationship with them, and they, they tell them about Jesus. Okay, and uh, guess what? Some of them believe, others don't. And the psalmist says that the the, the skies declare, even speak to the whole world, to the ends of the earth. Perfect. I say we scrap the entire missionary program from every church. Because we don't need them anymore. It's not necessary. Until you read Acts 4.12. So somebody better read Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. Excuse me. Could you start over again and read that loudly and clearly? Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so, in Acts 4.12, the topic is what? Salvation. 
Salvation. Salvation. And in and in Romans one and in Psalm nineteen, the topic is what? Knowledge of the truth. The declaration of God and creation. Where is the co joining of those two things? Huh? Oh, okay. But remember, our tribal people haven't heard of Jesus yet, but they've seen, and they're asking questions about the beauty that surrounds them. Spectacular. I mean, have you been to the jungles of New Guinea? <laughs> Other than the bugs, it's spectacular. It's beautiful. It's wet. But it's, it's gorgeous. But Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found where? We got a salvation issue. What about John fourteen six? What does Jesus say? You referred to it just a minute ago, Bob. I am the the truth and the life and what? How many? Regardless of what the psalmist says. Oh, so the psalmist isn't talking about salvation. Oh. Okay. Yeah, but we got to take the whole counsel of God. And so what we're seeing now then is, because the question is, if you haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you died tomorrow, what happens? But Luke says, then Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Huh. But you're skipping ahead a little bit. <laughs> because what we're talking about here is we're talking about this being a salvation issue. And, and we saw the scripture says that what? Oh, it's a narrow road, I heard somebody say earlier tonight. Yeah, there's a scripture reference for that, isn't there? And so we see here that even salvation is found in what? One person, the person of Jesus Christ. Saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, Scripture teaches. And we believe that. And if we don't believe that, then we belong to a cult. Amen? That's an essential in the historic Christian faith. Without that, you are not saved. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, I'm reading Scripture here, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, so I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and the Father to me. So all of a sudden, salvation then isn't just out there. I'm something created that. But Bill, Jesus is God. Yeah. So they knew God. That would eliminate all the Old Testament. But, uh, you know, people, you know, they didn't know Jesus, but they understood the Messiah. They knew it. Okay. But fast forward, we'll talk about this dispensation. We're talking about we're talking about these tribal people. We're talking about tribal people today. Olivia, that may not have heard the gospel, right? And that's what you're worried about. You're concerned about those people. Well that's what you expressed. And so what happens? That's good. That's really good. And so why did Jesus come? Huh? Luke 19.10 He says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
So wait a minute now. I'm thinking about the beauty of this creation. I'm thinking about how the stars, night after night, they reveal what? <coughs> Knowledge. Yeah, I think so. And they also speak, and, they, and, and, and it goes out to the ends of the earth. And yet, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except for Him. And salvation is found in no one else. Salvation isn't found in creation. It's not found there. So what about those people? Hmm. What do we make of that biblical? What are we supposed to do with that if Jesus is the only way? You're so narrow. We're supposed to spread the word. So we, that was the Great Commission. Oh, that's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. says what? 19 and 20. Who therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. So he says, therefore, therefore what? Because of this, because of this salvation thing, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, because salvation is in no one else, but because God created all things, go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Why? Why? Because he said so. Because he said so. Because he said so. Yeah, you see, because there are people, believe it or not, I've had this discussion, honestly, I, with people that said there's absolutely no reason to be spending this money on missionaries because it's pointless. All they got to do is look outside and see how beautiful the creation of God is, and that is sufficient. Because they're rich, right? Here, people are without excuse from what? Well, but no. But no, because you have to take the whole counsel of God, because God said so. Go, we have to tell them. And of course, what's been happening for 2,000 years? Who was, who was Jesus talking to here in Matthew 28? And who else was he talking to? Us. Amen. Amen. And has been ever since. And so what must we do? We're talking about hell. What do we have to do, Olivia? We have to tell people. We gotta go. But what yeah. happens to people that haven't heard you? It disappears. Okay. So I haven't covered that. Okay. okay. <laughs> you may not get your answer until you die. Hmm. Does that mean then, Doris? I'm going to ask you specifically. Does that then mean, biblically speaking, that there's no way on God's green earth, because He created it, you know, that the rapture can happen until every last person on earth has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from somebody? It doesn't. But knowing God and His sense of humor, hmm. He makes a way. But we want the answer to that question, don't we, Olivia? No, I like answers. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, we like answers for sure. Hey, I'm a pilot. I like checklists. Just yeah. tell me the order you want me to do the stuff. I won't crash. I promise. Just give me the list and I'll do I've it. Been there. I know that. Okay. <laughs> All right. We we want answers, and so we have these people that are out there in these in these in these in these, in these, whew, these jungle areas all around the world that haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ yet, and haven't been reached. Can I tell you a little story? Sure. That I read. Uh, the guy that I support is where I got this 
learned about this Masonic Jewish translation of the Bible. Uh, he and a crew went into, they've been doing this, into one of the far reaches of Africa where white men have never been for two or three thousand years. And they found a tribe of Jews, Levites, proved by DNA that they were the tribe of Levites. And they converted and processed, and the reason I'm using the word process is they brought eyeglasses and doctors, dentists, you name it, they had it with them. And they treated 7,500 people. And the implication is they had 7,500 Christians when they left. <laughs> small, small correction. We said the Sonic, you meant Messianic? Messianic. Yes. Yes. Well, a little different. <laughs> so, thank you for that. Oh, so, Olivia, you want to know, how does God then reveal himself through, through nature that says that we don't have any excuse? How then does God reveal himself even to those people? That was one way. That's a great story about God's revelation. I, I think these what? people were probably practicing Judaism. Uh, were. And this is... <laughs> rumors got out that there was this group of Jews that had not been seen or heard of for 2,000 years or whatever. Interesting. And, uh, well, turn to Matthew 7, 7. We're going to wrap this question up for you, Olivia. <laughs> You're going to have an answer before you go home tonight. <laughs> no, it's her question. I like it. Yes, good question. Matthew 7, 7 says what? Ask. Yes. <laughs> 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 and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be given to you. Hmm. So what's the context of Matthew 7, 7? Could it be the context is that Jesus is providing his audience here with the principle of God's provision for those who are truly seeking him? Look at the mountains. Just nature itself will indicate that there is a creator. Well, it's interesting, though, isn't it, Doris? Because he's talking about knocking and seeking and looking and finding. And in the very next passage of Scripture, if you go down just to, to, uh, to uh, verse 13, it speaks about a wide and a narrow gate. Right after talking about knocking and seeking and finding, doors being open to you and... Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking we're looking at a lot of God's potential revelation here. How does God reveal himself to those that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can the gospel be revealed in more ways than through this? Yeah. How? Well, if you're really interested in learning, you're going to seek it out like it says. Okay, and then that wasn't the question though. If you're really interested, how does God then reveal himself to those that have never picked one of these up? Through his creation. 
Okay, and how else? Love. Uh, okay, and mercy. Back in the days of the sailing ships, a Hawaiian boy was captured and taken as a slave to New England and placed in a in a Christian home. And he learned about Christ, and he went back to Hawaii and told his people about mm. Christ. Okay. Or um, heard a story about some missionaries that were on an island someplace, and they were trying to explain about Jesus and that he died by being nailed to the cross. He didn't know what a nail was. So they opened a can of peaches from home, and there was a nail in the can of peaches. <laughs> you hear stories like that. Oh, yeah. if, you, if you if you want to know, mm-hmm. if you want to know bad enough, God will see that you get them. Fantastic. How else does God reveal Himself to to the tribal person in the jungle of New Guinea that has never seen a missionary, has never picked up a Bible, not even one page of it? Is it possible to, for God to reveal Himself? Yeah. How? However, he wants to. <laughs> Be more specific. Vision and dreams. Visions. Yeah, dreams. And we're listening to Jim Dyson on Thursday mornings talking about what's going on in the in, in, in the Muslim world right now, and it's it's like wide open. This is a man that spent twenty five or thirty years with virtually no evidence of any converts and now he's back in the United States and there are people over there with this whole ISIS thing going on and there are things like visions and dreams that are going people are coming to Christ without a missionary even being involved in the process. Wow. Supernatural things you see because we're so comfortable that we don't get it in so many ways. But and you see, and I'm guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. I have this nice, clean little light here. It's wonderful. It, but, and I've been exposed to some things, but there are supernatural things that are going on. Visions, dreams, revelation, manifestations. The Apostle Paul was heading to Damascus. Jesus Christ himself flipped him around and sent him the other way. <laughs> that was a time and a place. Okay. So what's the answer to the question? What happens to somebody that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? If they really want to know, they will ask. They will ask the Lord, or or at least look for answers. They will ask, and God will see to it that they find out. God is just. He is holy. God only can do what is right. His standard. Not mine. Not yours. And do we need to follow the Great Commission? Oh, you better believe it. My only commentary in that area is, oh, how the church is not, is not following that command today. Is not following that command today. It's tough enough when we see what the level of tithing is in the church in, in terms of, uh, I don't get me started on this, but I'm a missionary guy and I understand missions. And so what happens is, is that if the church would just get off their duff and understand the importance and the gravity of people going to hell because they haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they would send missionaries out. We've had to create entire organizations 
and it costs $100,000 a year to send a missionary to Papua New Guinea. That's crazy. It's crazy what we've done. And yet, the intent is there. We've got to share the gospel with these people. I know missionaries. I know people that are missionaries. That got, they got hearts so big they don't even fit in their chest. Because all they care about is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. We're pretty comfortable, guys. So the question then is, what happens to people that haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? God will deal justly with them if they start. In the old dispensation, you could look out when the psalmist wrote, whoa, look at that. The moon came up. Never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the moon came up and the stars spoke and words were even used. But they still how is the gate. He says you can't go to heaven unless you believe on Jesus Christ. That they may believe in God, they don't know the message from Jesus. To the extent that they do, God will do what is right. And that's for him to know that's for <laughs> This is the man that put hit it on the head. Yeah. You probably won't know. Maybe never. That may not even be revealed in heaven. But we know that God is just. Because when we take a look at the next question, which is the which is I, I, I love this because you know Thelma, I love Thelma. And you know, Thelma lost a child. And there's a question for every parent that has lost a child. And we're going to see next week as we close up our study on heaven, we're going to take a look at the story of Bathsheba and David, this horrific sin and this child that was a result and what God did and how David dealt with it to answer that question. Because we have to be biblically clear on the answers that we give and not dogmatic so much so that we take a stand and we have a position. Because I tell you what, what I've learned in my... In my uh, Short years of study, I've learned that when when you're mistaken about something, you better understand that you are fallible. You've made a mistake, and you better let God's word do the correcting. And you better let the Lord deal with you because we can't sugarcoat it, candy coat it. We've got to talk biblical truth in love, in love, so that we can prevent those people from going down this path. Because wide is the path, and many. In fact, the Bible says most are going to go there. And if, if Olivia, I love, I love you. If you could give whatever you had to prevent somebody going to hell, don't answer this question. It's rhetorical. But if you could give whatever you thought you could give to prevent somebody from going to hell and to be saved, what's it worth? What's the whole world? Everything. That's how important it is to God. Everything. Our lives should be changed by virtue of the fact that we know that the path is wide, the gate is wide, and most are going to go. So we have to live in such a way that Jesus Christ is attractive. Amen? Amen. <laughs> to answer your question, so what happens to those who are unborn. Take a look at the book. Heaven is for real. 
he comes back one day after his experience. And he felt this book was written on what this little boy revealed a little at a time to his family after he had a <laughs> out of body experience, a heavenly experience, whatever you want to call it. Basically died. Yeah. Anyway, he told her, I've got a sister. She doesn't have a name. And her mo- his mother just about flipped because she miscarried and they had never mentioned it to him because he wasn't around. And as long as we're biblically careful when we when we read those stories because we know for a fact that it's not biblically accurate that anybody has ever died and gone to heaven and then returned alive to write a book. Well, Could it have been a vision? He was, Perhaps. He, ne- he didn't necessarily right. die. die. Right. But he wasn't... I, I get, to, I get what you're saying. Running around. Right. I have a great book, by the way, uh, written by a, a gentleman who... I'm not going to promote the book because I think it's hogwash, but, but it's called... <laughs> it's called 23 Minutes in Hell. And, and this is a gentleman who is biblically astute that wrote a book and he said that he didn't say that he died that, that's good that, that's a good thing because if he said that he died it would have meant that God would have had to resurrect him so he could come back and write his book but you know, he said that he was near death and he had a vision and was, was taken uh, to hell and he, and he wrote a book about his 23 minutes he was there apparently he had his watch on when he was there because he, oh, he was there for 23 minutes but you have to be very discerning, you have to be very cautious, and you have to be like a Berean, and you have to take a look at what these people are writing in their books. And I don't have any problem or any qualms at all with somebody saying that they've, they've had a vision of hell or of heaven or anything else, as long as, it, as long as it measures up to what the scriptures say. Because if it's outside of anything that God has already revealed, hogwash, throw it in the trash. It's, it's pointless. It's just a book to make money. If it lines up with scripture and it can be supported biblically, I want to talk to the guy because it'd be very interesting. And I don't doubt that people have had some of those visions and those experiences. We just said that God can save people through visions and dreams and reveal Jesus Christ and the salvation that is afforded only through him without ever having to read one word in this Bible. That's the God that we serve. Will he? I don't have a clue. Could he? Absolutely. He can do anything Amen. any way he wants to do it. Amen.